0: That music is... From a band called Basin and Range. You can find them at uh, Basin and Range. Just search them on bandcamp.com. The song is called Bright Side of the Sun. I love it. The whole song is very funky. Uh, I'm going to play the whole song a little later in this episode. But I can only play it for the paid version because the paid version doesn't go up on Spotify. And anytime I play Music, Even if the artist has given me their permission to use the music, it doesn't matter. These things are all run by computers. Artificial intelligence uh, doesn't give a fuck about case-by-case basis. It only cares about the rules that are programmed into the algorithm. Welcome to the world in 2023. So uh, you'll only hear that song and others on the paid version of this Roma. Welcome to the Roma. Roma, for those of you who are new to the podcast, uh, means ranting out my ass is what it's short for, and it's uh, a designation of special kind of episodes that I do occasionally where I just talk about whatever's on my mind and there's no guest. Uh, I, years ago, decided I should do something like this because I found myself Uh, listening back to the episode I had just recorded and saying, Chris, shut the fuck up. Chris, Chris, you brought this guest on to tell their story. Why are you talking so much, dude? Uh, So I sort of gave myself a bit of a national park where I could roam free and speak to my heart's delight and, uh, and give, hopefully, give guests more time to tell their stories without listening to me telling mine. So that's what this is. Welcome to the National Park, the Roma National Park. And then, again, for those of you who may be new to the park. I I don't know if there's anyone new to the podcast at this point. Um, (laughs) I mean, honestly, after 12 years, 580-something episodes... Uh, and the lack of me sort of making any effort to bring in new listeners. I don't know if there are any new listeners, but if there are, I'm talking to you. Um, if you hear me talk about Thomas, that's talking out my ass, and that's a similar thing, which is uh, me telling a more specific story as opposed to just, you know, commenting on whatever's happening, whatever movie I've seen recently or book I've read or experience I've had. Uh, Toma is something, uh, you know, the time I was bit by the scorpion in Guatemala while I was dripping on acid. It's that kind of a story. It's a more sort of discreet, um, often a story I've told before in the past. And uh, I'm just kind of getting it down in amber, as they say. Anyway, welcome to this episode. I'm really glad you're here. What's going on with me? I have seen some interesting things. We have this, um, I don't know if it qualifies as a tiny house, but it's definitely a very small house in Crestone, 847 square feet, I believe, on two floors. Um, It's very cozy. I really, I, I dig it, especially as winter is kicking in and, you know, we got the fire and we bought some, we got a leather couch with a sheepskin on it and uh this reclining chair that my parents bought in 1980 something um and um my mom and my sister wanted to give us something as a sort of a housewarming gift and they offered us this leather chair that uh, has just been around the house since i can remember um and the reason I know what year it was born it was born, what year it was purchased, uh is that when I, I said, Yeah, I'd love to have that chair and throw it in the van. I, I was visiting LA in the van at some point and my mom excused herself and got up and walked back into the room five minutes later and had the receipt for the chair <laughs> The receipt from buying this chair in nineteen eighty something. Uh yeah, she and she knew exactly where it was. That's my mom, like an uh, incredible wizard of organization and record keeping and uh, just documentary clarity. She should have. I mean, she she would have been amazing for you know a researcher or somebody who really needed that kind of skill. Um, in any case, our place is comfy and. One of the things we did is we got a a movie screen and a projector. And so we have movie night, which is nice because you know, you pull down the the screen and you hook up the projector and you get everything going and maybe you make some popcorn and it it becomes an event. Um, which is very different from just you know clicking on a YouTube video on your laptop or your iPad or whatever. Um, there's something about the, you know the the sort of um, the rigmarole, the 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 ritual of pulling down the screen and turning out the lights, and everybody gets comfortable and. Um, and it's it's really nice because it focuses the mind and so one of the, we've watched a few things recently um I'll talk about three of them, which you can also watch. one is called happy people um It's a documentary that was produced by Werner Herzog, although I don't think he shot it, and I don't he doesn't narrate it. Uh, I think, and and I don't know the story, um, but I sort of assume that it's somebody brought it to his attention and he agreed to slap his name on it to, um, you know, give it a signal boost and get larger, better distribution for it. And anyway, it's really interesting. It's about people who live in a village um, in Siberia. And basically, what their lives are, are like, and they uh, trap for a living. Uh, these guys go out in the winter, and they have little cabins, and they have trap lines. And the whoever made the film goes and sort of goes out with a couple of these guys on their runs, and um. I guess, you know, slept out there with them all winter. I'm I'm not sure what the logistics were, but it was, it's pretty intense. And, um, you see the, one of the guys uses metal traps. Another guy uses sort of an old school deadfall, uh, trap. And, um, and, and the, the life is, you know, hard and solitary and, um, kind of gives you a, a really interesting, view into a very different kind of life from from what most of us have experienced um, or even could experience in 2023 it's way outside the algorithm let me tell you um, anyway happy people very interesting and all these things are available I don't I don't remember if it was Netflix or Amazon Prime um, or HBO Max but you know they're available for streaming so you can find them if you're interested. Uh, And I'll put links in the show notes. Um, The next thing uh, is a film called 28 Up. Uh, This was uh, Michael Aptet, I think, was the name of the director who was brought in, I think, as some sort of an assistant in the first. There was this documentary that was called 7 Up. And. If they, The person who made it, again, I don't remember the full story. You can Google it and you'll get all the details. But I saw this years ago, probably in the 80s or something, the first time I saw it, maybe when I was in college even. Um, and the idea was that they wanted to interview uh, a group of kids from different class backgrounds in England. So they got some – and seven-year-olds. So they got some from like very – prestigious um you know elite schools um and i'm, I'm stumbling over the words because it's kind of confusing in england the, the elite schools they call public schools but for americans we would call them private schools because they're not government funded in fact they're uh Privately funded, so only the wealthy can afford to go there, and you have to pass all these tests. And it's sort of a "oh, your father and your grandfather went, so you go" kind of thing. Yeah, Eton is is the famous one, E T O N, um, but there are many others. So it's a very class. It's a thing, you know, an institution meant to perpetuate class distinctions. Um, and then they they got a bunch of kids from lower class neighborhoods and schools. And they kind of brought them together for the day and they took them to a zoo and they they took them to a playground and they just sort of watched the way they behaved, the way they interacted with each other. And uh, I believe the idea was sort of a sociological experiment to sort of show how these class divisions uh, perpetuate even in kids as young as seven years old. Um, but then Michael Apted, who was a, some sort of an assistant on that first thing had the idea of like, what if I go back and interview these kids again, seven years later when they're 14 and, and see how things have developed. And so he did that. And then he did it again at 21. So every seven years he's gone back and interviewed these people to sort of see what's happened with their lives. And the one that I watched just recently was 28 Up, and I'm pretty sure this was on Amazon Prime. And it included both the original documentary, the 7 Up, which I think was an hour long, and then the follow-up uh, 28 when they're 28 years old. So you meet the kids at 7, and then you you see them again at 28. Almost all of them participated uh, at this point, Michael Apted, I think, has died. And I think the last one that was recorded was 63 up. And I don't know if someone else is doing 70 up or, or what the deal is. Um, but anyway, it's it's a very interesting um, sort of insight into this eternal question of what aspects of our lives are predetermined by genetics, um, by uh, other biological constraints, by family, by class, and which elements of our experience are not predetermined, are are open to free will, or I don't know if luck, where, where does luck fall? Is that in the predetermined? side of the ledger or in the free will side of the ledger. I mean we don't choose luck, but luck does seem to be random. and if something is random, can it be predetermined? I don't really know some philosophy student or professor should let us know what where to come down on that one. Um, but in any case, it's very interesting to see these kids and and see where they where their lives, have led them at the age of 28 and then i've seen other episodes as well uh back when it first came out i don't remember how many of them i saw but i do remember that i i saw some something where they were older than 28 um maybe it was 35 or 42 but in any case um yeah it's it's amazing to just see like ah oh, of course this kid that kid turned out like this of course he did like you could see it in the 7 year old he was already this guy you know um and then of course in other cases it's it's heart wrenching because you see these these beautiful innocent spirits of these 7 year olds and you see how life Um, has just sort of beaten them down and drained them and how frightened and lost uh, some of them are at 28. Uh, One guy in particular who is essentially homeless, and he was just this, you know, magical little angelic seven-year-old. And at 28, he's just like, he's having a really hard time. So I think exercises like that are really important in helping us to maintain compassion for people um, no matter how annoying or even dangerous or frightening they can be I am you know imagine what life would be like if every time you looked at at someone, you could see the child. You could see who that person was at seven and, and get a sense of the trajectory that has led them to where they are now. I think we would be so much more compassionate with each other, so much more understanding. Life would happen on a much deeper level, I think, for most of us, uh, if we could see that and i feel like that's one of the things that happens um in love in real love i'm not talking about flashy love at first sight infatuation i'm talking about when you when you actually love someone you see that trajectory you see cuz you know you've met their parents and you've seen the photos of them as a little kid and you've heard the stories about the things that happened that frightened them or hurt them or um you know their their little triumphs and their failures and their disasters and so you know you introduce someone that you love to some somebody else and it's just like oh this is you know this is my partner x and that person just sees this snapshot whereas you see the entire documentary series of their lives, you know. It's it's uh, one of those things where, where it's almost incomprehensible um, how much we don't know about most of the people that we interact with. And uh, it's always interesting to think about how we would interact differently if we really did know. Um, Which leads to the third thing that I watched recently, which is the first two episodes of a three part series. Uh, The third part hasn't been released yet, and it's on um, HBO Max, I believe. And it's called, it's about the Love Has Won um, cult, which was based here in Crestone. So there's a lot of uh, local interest in this. And I heard about this situation when it happened. Uh, And it was pretty recent. I mean, it was maybe a year, a year and a half ago. Uh, These people who are living out in um, an area called Casita Park, which is kind of a trailer park, mobile home kind of area outside of Crestone, And um, there were some stories in the local press about how uh, a body had been discovered in a house out there and the people were arrested and apparently the body was like mummified and um, the people told the police that the dead woman was just resting (laughs) Which of course reminds me of that Monty Python sketch about the, the dead parrot. Uh I'll try to link to that too, making a note here. Dead parrot. Uh, I'll try to put that in the show notes. Uh if I can find it, I'm pretty sure it, it must be on YouTube. But anyway, the so it's this this cult and I don't know who I but somebody started working on a documentary right away because they're interviewing people within days after the body's found. And, um, yeah, I, I won't talk too much about like what happened because you can just watch this and, and work it out or, or Google it if you want to know the details. But essentially this woman, um, you know, who had been a manager at a McDonald's quit her job and the way it's told in the documentary, she took some MDMA and the the one experience with MDMA just sort of blew her mind enough that she um, dis- just sort of saw that the world isn't as it seems, right? Which is an insight that I think we all have at one point or another, often with the help of psychedelics or... Uh, even, you know, marijuana or or just um, travel or falling in love or having a child or whatever the transcendent experience is that, by definition, if it's transcendent, it means that it sort of fractures and revolutionizes your perspective. So everything's different from that point forward, right? You've transcended something. And um, in her case, it led her to believe that she was Mother God. Uh, Not only is she Mother God and sort of the the maternal energy of all creation, she's also the reincarnation of Elvis, Marilyn Monroe, Cleopatra, I think Hitler, uh, just like everybody you can think of, she is claiming to be the reincarnation of John Denver. Um, And and so she sort of, you know, from my perspective, she loses her fucking mind and has these delusions of grandeur. Um, But because she also has a webpage, she gets followers. And people start sending her money because she has a YouTube channel and she does these live sessions and then she's doing healing sessions with people where she, you know, sends them crystals or some kind of tincture that she makes and she prays for them and she does all this stuff. And then these people start coming to be with her initially in Crestone and then they go to... Oregon, and I think they went to Mount Shasta for a while in California. They went to Kauai, but the neighbors in Kauai were like, "Get the fuck out of here!" So they got out of Kauai pretty quickly. Um, anyway, it there's all this amazing footage because they filmed everything, right? Because they've got their YouTube channel, so they're and they're very narcissistic, and they're filming everything they do and all their their chants and their study groups and their this and their that. And, um, it's just, and there's so many fascinating things about this. And obviously, since I told you about the mummified body, you know that she dies at one point when she drinks like a fish and she's having liver failure, but of course they don't believe in Western medicine. So they don't take her to a hospital. They don't see a doctor they believe that all physiological experiences are manifestations of psychic energy. So it's all about cleanse your mind and, you know, the, the skin lesions will go away and your feet will stop swelling and all these other signs of liver failure will go away if you just, you know, think clearly. And um, so she's... Obviously, she's nuts. She's, you know, I mean, come on. You're the reincarnation of Elvis and Marilyn Monroe. I mean, pick one, lady. Come on. Come on. Uh, but I think what's really interesting for me, what, what I kept thinking and, and sort of feeling when I was watching this, is how humans have this tendency to get absorbed into self-sustaining systems that have their own agendas. I've spoken about this in the past in terms of superorganisms and corporations and religions and governments and all this kind of stuff. But this is a really interesting example because you can see how it happens in just a couple of years with these people where, you know, initially it's just this crazy lady making bizarre YouTube videos. And then she's got, you know, half a dozen followers who come and live with her and, and they, you know, one guy knows how to do the web design and another guy is doing the, the money, managing the bank accounts. And then, you know, these two sort of pretty girls are, are the on-screen presence. And they're the, I don't know, they're angels or disciples or whatever the fuck they are. And, and they're selling, you know, T-shirts and crystals and tinctures and all this kind of stuff. So there's money coming in. And also they're, uh, of course, asking their followers, you know, if you send us a thousand dollars, you know, Mother God will say a prayer especially for you. And so it's all that kind of stuff. And and there's a heartbreaking moment in in the second episode, I think it was, where these these women, these young women um, are talking about how, as Mother God's health was getting worse and worse, and she was in a lot of pain, there would come these moments where she would kind of from their perspective uh, panic and and she expressed doubts and she said like, like what if I'm wrong, what if I'm not?" Mother God, what if I'm just like a crazy lady? Like, in other words, from our, from my perspective, she's having moments of clarity and humility. But by now you've got 15 or 20 people who are all making a lot of money from this, right? And they're not only making money, they believe to some extent that she is the manifestation of the supernatural. And so, for her to say, maybe I'm full of shit here, threatens their belief system that they're totally tied into. And that belief system is much more important than the person or symbol who is at the center of that belief system. And so, what ends up happening is that this person who is initially exalted and worshiped and raised up to the stature of some sort of a god certainly you know supernatural better than the rest of us deserving of any kind of wealth or service or comfort or whatever that entity then gradually, in most cases, suddenly in some, I think, shifts from being worshipped to being sacrificed because the system that has built up around them is more important than they are. And in that sense, I start to see how Jesus died for our sins because maybe what happened was that Jesus was either a crazy dude like this lady who just said all sorts of crazy shit that resonated with people for some reason because they lived in crazy times and the crazy shit he was saying sort of made sense in that crazy context. Or maybe he was very wise. Maybe he said shit that was really intelligent and and interesting and thoughtful and that's why people started gathering around him and this cult began to coalesce. Right? But then if at some point Jesus said, hey, you know what? I'm just a regular person and actually I'd kind of like to spend the night with Mary Magdalene and, uh, you know, have these earthly pleasures and then maybe the people were like, no, no, dude. No, you don't get it. You're the son of God. You need to do this son of God shit. You can't do that regular human shit. Are you kidding me? And so the, the the figure at the center of these things becomes the human sacrifice. Think about Michael Jackson, right? Michael Jackson was the King of pop. He was, you know, on top of the world in what? 19, the 1980s. He was it. He was clearly the dude was spinning out. Clearly he was miserable. He, all these surgeries and trying to look like, who was he trying to like, um, uh, fucking that actor, he was friends with this old actress and he wanted to look like her. And then, you know, he was, he wanted to be white and he wanted to be a child. And like the guy was losing his fucking mind. Right. But who's going to tell him? Nobody's going to tell him. Nobody's going to set him down and say, hey, Mike, you got some issues like you need to stop touring. You need to stop this fucking shit. You need to go get some therapy. You need to go live on an island away from all this fame stuff for a while and get your shit together. Nobody's going to say that to him because everybody around him is making money from the Michael Jackson show. And so, dude, you're going to tour, you're going to keep making albums, you're going to keep going on TV until you're fucking dead, because everybody around you is going to lose a bunch of money if you don't. So you go from being a god to being human sacrifice. I just think about the, that moment in the, in the Beatles documentary I saw years ago where... They were talking about how the first time they came to America, they went to see Elvis. And I've told this story. I'm sure you've heard me to tell the story before. But they went to see Elvis They in the Hollywood Hills. And they sat around with him for a while. And, of course, they, you know, it was blowing their minds. Two A year earlier, two years earlier, they were a little band playing in pubs in Germany. And now they're sitting in Elvis' house in Los Angeles, At his invitation, holy fuck, right? Anyway, they played some songs and sang and talked a little bit, and and they went back, and, and one of the guys, I forget who it was, but one of the guys tells the story of the four of them get in the limo, and they all look at each other, and one of them says, I'm so glad that we're going through this together, because that's what happens when you go through this alone. In other words, you go crazy because there's no one to say, Paul, shut the fuck up. I've known you since you were 10 years old. Shut the fuck up, man. You know, you're not a genius. John, you're not more popular than Jesus. That was a dumb thing to say, man. Come on. What would your mother think about that? There's no one to say that to you. In John's case, your mother, I guess his mother died when he was young. Your grandmother. Uh yeah so to lose that uh that community of people who will tell you when you're full of shit that's when you become the human sacrifice. The other thing that really jumped out at me watching this documentary is that the people who who joined the cult and I guess this this goes back to the point I was making about twenty eight up you can see how lost and lonely and sad and heartbroken they are. And so finding this woman, several of them tell the same story. When they first arrived, she looks at them, looks in their eyes and says, wow, you are so brilliant. And you can see when they're telling the story, like, Nobody's ever said that. Nobody. And one of them even says, no one has ever, no one had ever in my life called me brilliant. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, yeah, I am brilliant. She sees it. She recognizes that. And that's the beginning. Right? That's the beginning of... Stepping into this self-replicating system, self-reinforcing system, where you receive your self-worth from this group of people or this institution or this whatever it is. And you are now trapped because if you leave that, if you doubt that institution or the teachings of that institution, your self-worth is is retracted because it's dependent upon the approval of that institution, right? So, some twenty-two-year-old who you know, whose parents weren't kind, or weren't present, or or just weren't emotionally available, or whatever it was, who's never felt loved or protected or um, recognized, finds her way to this trailer park where this crazy lady tells her she's brilliant and wonderful and has the you know energy of one of the disciples of of God and suddenly this kid's life has meaning and has value and she feels that she's an important part of something larger than herself that has the potential to bring, you know, the spiritual shift of the planet and, you know, whatever kind of nonsense terminology gets employed doesn't really matter. What matters is that in this context, this person who was previously lost, I mean, there's a line in the in the Bible, right? Once I was lost and now I am found, well, that's, that's what it means to be found, to be recognized, to be valued, to be part of something bigger than yourself. Now these people have that. And having that, this crucial piece of the puzzle that they never had before, they'll do, do almost anything not to lose it. Of course they will. And we all look at a cult like this and, and we point our fingers and we laugh, but how's that any different from being on a football team or a squadron in the military or you know, part of the the best used car dealership in suburban Denver or Catholic or Jewish, or Muslim, or Buddhist, or white, or a Crip, or a Blood, or a Hells Angel, or a Ryan, or a Smith. It's all the same. It's all the yearning for the protection of the group, the recognition, the sense of being valued, of being an important part of something. Which I think goes all the way back to our hunter-gatherer tribal origins, right? Where if you were part of a social unit that functioned well, you were going to have a good life. You were going to survive. And if your social unit was breaking down or failed in some way, you were likely to die because no nobody, not even the most competent hunter-gatherers of 20,000 years ago, had a good chance of survival on their own. You really needed your compadres for that. So it's this need for that kind of group identity, I think, is as deep in us as the need for vitamin C or the need for fiber in our diet or protein or whatever you want to you want to use in in that structure that that framing but it's an essential need it's an essential psychological nutrient and in the modern world very few of us are getting it certainly in the united states where you know we're not really most of us aren't really part of a family right the family doesn't matter it's not like in the old days where, you know, you all lived in the same town and all your cousins, you grew up with your cousins and your aunts and your uncles and all that, There, there was there, there isn't that family identity anymore. We don't have the village identity where, like in Spain, where a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, I go back to my village every weekend if I can. My grandparents still live there. Yeah, you know, It's where I grew up. I used to go there as a kid all the time. Every summer I spent there. We don't have that. We don't have regional identity. Nobody gives a shit if, you know, you and I are both from Pennsylvania. Who cares? There's no, it's not like being Basque, right? It's not like being, you know, Sicilian where that still matters, Oh, you're from Southern California? Who gives a shit? Everybody's from Southern California, right? It only matters if you know, I I mean sometimes I laugh about like rap songs, you know, hip hop where they're like, you know, Snoop Dogg and Dre and all those guys are singing about their their area code, right? I'm, you know, yo I'm from the 303 or whatever it is. Like that that's how desperate and deep this need For group identity is that people associate themselves with a fucking phone area code or a zip code right like oh yeah you know in the 303 we're better than those guys over in the 502 like (laughs) are you fucking kidding you know compton like okay long beach inglewood Who cares? Well, I care because that's my group identity. That's where I came up. Those are my streets. Those are my people. Despite the fact that it's totally arbitrary. And if you'd been born five blocks away, you'd have other streets and other people. Okay, doesn't matter. All right. This is the end of the free version. I've been ranting for 40 minutes. I'm going to take a break and I'm going to come back and talk some more about An interesting event that happened in the skies recently. Uh, You may have heard about the pilot who ate some mushrooms. Don't know if you know the full story of that. And also a story you probably haven't read about, um, about the mass shooting that didn't happen here in Colorado a couple of weeks ago. If you want to hear the rest of that, please consider signing up on substack, .substack chrisryan.substack.com. Five bucks a month. Uh, I think you get a free trial period to 60 bucks a year. I know 50 bucks a year. It is because it's a discount Um, and you get all the bonus material, including uh, the version of this little chat, which is going to include some music and some other stuff. Thank you for listening. And also if you want the full version and you can't afford it, um, or you are living in a country that doesn't have access to credit cards like Iran, Drop me a line, let me know, send me an email, and I will hook you up. Thank you for listening.
1: He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you. Just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say Body is an animal. Doesn't ask for much. A little music and a soft touch. Why don't you let it out to play? Let's go down. We'll go singing to the smoke alarms. We'll dance into the ground.